This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Kevin Flythe, Damian Ashburton, Dunning Renee, and Jay Valentine, and Brian Irwin, who were all collected when Zordon told Alpha 5 to get five teenagers with attitude. I don't know if they have attitude. I don't know if they're really teenagers. But in any case, this one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we heard the interwebs buzz about New 52. Lying awake, the nerds would break it all in two. When I was young, the crisis changed everything, too. Oh, oh. I met your X-Men. They fought Avengers. Comic books killed the radio star. In my mind and in my car, we can't rewind. We've gone too far. One more day, it broke your heart. Put the blame on Steven. Dekai yume ma mugendai. And it's on the air. Hey everyone, welcome to issue 406 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad Yay! you could join us this issue. happy to be here. <laughs> we'll be talking about an all-ages comic later in the show, plus we'll also get to some single-issue reviews, and of course the all-important poll of the week. Week, 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 week. Later in the show, but first let's get to some news. So we've got a couple of items on the list this week. We can talk about Daredevil getting a rewrite. No Lego Shaun of the Dead, Fantastic Four getting a reboot at Fox, or Axe Cop getting the animated treatment. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and find out where we land this week. And this week, it lands on Fantastic Four getting a reboot. Well, we've known that uh, the last couple of Fantastic Four movies were not as uh, big moneymakers as Fox had hoped. Uh, but Fox does currently own the property franchise. Uh, and if they want to keep that franchise intact and the rights to that intact, they have to keep making movies. So if it doesn't work once, if it doesn't work twice, then reboot the hell out of it. <laughs> and not only that, they've uh, tapped Josh Trank, who is the director of Chronicle, that found footage superhero movie, mm -hmm. uh, to direct the uh, to direct the film. It's kind of interesting. This week, we also had up on the Major Spoilers website a uh, question of the day about yes. uh, reboots. So reboots, Matthew, and specifically Fantastic Four. Now, Fox Features, or Fox, whoever or these 20th, people are. 20th Century Fox. 20th Century Fox in the 21st century. They're the guys who just redid Ghost Rider. Right? Uh, probably, yes. They also and own Daredevil, I believe. They're the guys who are working on this Daredevil. Mm -hmm. They don't own Amazing Spider-Man, do they? No, that's Sony. That's Columbia Pictures. That's Columbia. Okay. So basically, if I understand this correctly, Fox is holding on to the rights by thinking about rebooting the Fantastic Well, World. they're holding on to the rights by making another movie. And as long as they show right. that they're continually in production of a movie... Uh, to keep that property alive, then the rights right. don't revert back to Marvel or, in this case, don't revert back to Disney. Are they the same guys who made that Roger Corman movie with the boy who could fly as a fantastic torch or something? Uh, no, I think that was Roger Corman that did that Fantastic Well, I didn't movie. know who he worked for. Okay. Here's my thing. The Fantastic Four and Rise of the Silver Surfer were not terrible movies. They were actually passable. I would say that on a scale of the Phantom 
to the Dark Knight, they rank somewhere above the Shadow, but somewhere below Pootie Tang. So I think that their biggest issues for me were doing the thing as, you know, a, a practical effect suit and their casting of the Invisible Woman. So I think that if Fox is willing to look at this and actually reboot it as, you know, maybe something in line with Hickman's current take on the Fantastic Four, I think that it could work. But my problem is going to be it's a Hollywood big budget film. They're going to try and cast the hottest, you know, 18 year old blonde. They're going to get some schmuck like Channing Tatum as, you know, the Mr. Fantastic. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would be better with a CGI thing or a thing that's part CGI or a thing that doesn't look just like a fat guy from Brooklyn wearing a suit. I mean, come on, it's the commish here. So worst case scenario, at the very least, it will make people forget that the Fantastic Four's Human Torch is now Captain America. Rodrigo, go. Well, I think this, um, this is an interesting age we live in. In that, uh, in order to maintain these rights, they are now having to reboot as specifically these superhero movies mm-hmm. so frequently, really with, well, with so little thing. time in between. They, yeah. they uh, don't have to reboot. They could just recast and move on. I mean, that's what they're going to do, uh, or that's what, uh, was announced by Kevin Feige, uh, at, um, what is it, CinemaCon that was taking place last week. They said, hey, when Robert Downey Jr. is done playing Iron Man, we're just going to get another person to play Iron Man and just continue to move on. Well, and well, that's fine. But Hollywood doesn't know how to make a superhero movie that isn't an origin, though. I guess, Rodrigo, has Hollywood run out of ideas? Oh, certainly not. Um, you know, the I think the the you're right. They don't have to reboot the franchise. They can just recast, but in every situation, there are risks. If you reboot the franchise, obviously you run the risk of the franchise as a whole not taking root again or people rejecting it for the old one. Mm-hmm. If you recast, you run into the same problem at a smaller scale, but then that, you know, it's, it's, it's a crack that continues to spread through the foundations of your, of your <laughs> franchise. Um. <laughs> To uh, extend a metaphor, Indeed. the so you end up, you know, that basically it's a, it's a lose lose situation, but the one that has the highest potential payoff is that full reboot, yeah. Because people, if you fire Robert Downey Jr. or he quits, he decides to not be Iron Man anymore. And then you get someone else and somebody who's pretty good, somebody who people like, but he's not going to be Robert Downey Jr. And people reject that. They will reject the whole movie. But if you reboot the Avengers um, and have a new Iron Man, a new Captain America, a new Black Widow, which is what they did with Spider-Man, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Then you are making a new movie for a new generation kind of thing. You are starting fresh. You are starting new. You get to tell the same story again uh, mm-hmm. to a certain degree. But uh, you get to see what the other's movies did and probably, you know, change it up a little bit. So I think in the end, although both propositions are risky, the full reboot is actually less risky. 
It is. I guess it is less risky in that you get to tell the origin story over again, um, just like comic books do quite often every every 10 years. I guess my concern is, you know, we just we just did a movie. It's been, what, four years since the last Fantastic Four? Something like that. It'll probably be another two years, six four? years. You know, that do we really need to reboot so soon? That's my biggest concern is, why are we in such a rush to reboot? Why don't we just move on? Um, wow. and, and I guess it depends on how, you know, maybe Hollywood has got a different mindset of what a reboot means. Maybe in, in their mind. Oh, no, 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 I, no, I'm sure. But here's my hopeful, wishful thinking that in their minds, re- reboot basically means, Hey, let's tell another three picture deal and we don't have to tell the origin story, but we're just going to change up a few things. But well, unfortunately well, that, it doesn't work that you. way. They'll tell the origin story. Well, and, and, and even if that was the case, the, the issue is not that. The issue is that, um, it, it's not that Hollywood doesn't understand what a reboot is. It's not that people in Hollywood don't realize that it's too soon. They do. They have a guy sitting there going, guys, it's too soon. Right. Thank you. Here's $10,000 for telling us what you pay, what we pay her to, to tell right. us. Now we're going to ignore you because of the bottom line. Right. And that's what it comes down to yeah, is yeah, yeah. when you well, look at, when you look at everything that at uh, the big picture, everything that they're looking at in the end, they don't want to lose the rights to the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't want to continue to pay at this point, you know, that cast an exponential, um, paycheck because every time they go in, they're going to have to pay them more. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more famous they get on side projects, the more that goes up. Right. Um, the, or the first two Fantastic Four didn't do, I mean, they did well, but they didn't, they weren't the slam dunks that they want them to be. So here's a new chance to do it. Right. Um, so when you look at it and you look at the, you know, the economy of it, uh, this is the quote unquote smart choice. Um, is it the artistic choice? Is it the choice that's going to give you the best story? Only accidentally, if at all. Mm -hmm. Um, it could, but it's probably not. So just uh, some point point of information. Um, domestically in the U.S., um, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer brought in $131 million on a budget of $130 million. Okay. Worldwide, it made $289 million. Now, some numbers that I have seen. So, you know, you could look at that and say, well, look, they made $150 million on that. Some other numbers that I have seen say that when it comes to the marketing campaign on these, that you're essentially, if you have a $100 million budget, you're essentially you've got a $100 million marketing campaign for a movie of this size. So one can argue the profit margin of the second Fantastic Four movie was not that great. Uh, well, Fantastic Four, the first movie, uh, domestically brought in $154 million on a $100 million budget and worldwide $330 million on $100 million. So it actually was quite profitable, which all that profit then probably went into uh, the second movie. And I think that that may be part of it right there. There, we, we've talked about this recently a lot. There are, mm-hmm. you know, thought processes by which a movie can be sort of successful, but a movie can also be dead in the water before it leaves the studio because sure. of the way it's, it's hyped and promoted. Sure. I think that the reboot is, uh, in the minds of whomever is making this movie, the reboot is necessary because of the, the presumption, the general expectation that the first two Fantastic Four movies flopped. Mm-hmm. 
I, and I, I think that's, that's probably their strongest argument for rebooting. And, and I know, Matthew, you probably don't follow any of it. And Rodrigo, I, I, I'm going to guess that you probably do a little bit. What is your general feel for the rebooted Spider-Man that's coming up? The Amazing Spider-Man. We should probably just call it by The Amazing mm-hmm. Spider-Man, its title. Um, do you Are you more interested in seeing that than the, the Tobey Maguire one? Or, I, or, are you, or are you less interested? I, I'm, I'm more interested, but there's a very interesting reason why. Um, Kirsten Dunst is not in this one. Yay. The annoying manic pixie dream girl. And she was the big turnoff for me uh, as far as Pleasantville Spider-Man. Whereas I am utterly entranced and, you know, kind of creepy old guy in love with Emma Stone. Mm. So I want to see this movie to see, first of all, Emma Stone being Emma Stone and Emma Stoning all over the place and being adorable. But also to see if they treat uh, Mary Jane or rather if they tweet treat Gwen as just a blonde Mary Jane, which I think is what's going to happen because honestly, in that first movie, Mary Jane was just a red haired Gwen. So mm-hmm. I'm interested in seeing this. For that reason, it's about the supporting cast for me. And plus him, Stone. <laughs> Rodrigo, what about you? Well, you know, Spider-Man 3 left a pretty bad uh, taste in my mouth. So I was okay with that not continuing. You know, when they announced um, The Amazing Spider-Man, I was like, oh, too soon. But honestly, by now, I, I mm-hmm. didn't realize when they announced it that it was going to come out in, what, 2012? It comes right. out this year, right? right. 13, yep, something. This summer, July 3rd. Um, so I didn't I didn't realize that it was going to be quite so long since the announcement. So, you know, I'm OK. I, from what I've seen, it looks good. I, it's it's a different angle for the story. You know, it looks to tell a story that's a little bit more about um, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <coughs> Sorry, something in my throat. Um, it looks to tell a story that's a little bit more dealing with the, you know, Spider-Man's social connections a little bit more and and you know not necessarily the ones that are going to turn into super villains mm-hmm. um so uh, you know i'm interested in it i i think it's i think it could certainly be good i'm uh i think the costume still even though it's different i think it still looks a little similar um mm-hmm. they could have taken the opportunity to change it up a little bit more although i'm not entirely sure what they could have done with it right uh, Matthew, what's the uh, what's the vibe at the comic book shop among the the young young uh, kids? <laughs> like there are any young kids in a comic shop? What's the vibe among the uh, the fat middle aged guys that wander around? Not all of us are fat, thank you very much. Some of us are young and handsome. Dusty is quite fetching, I'm told, but that's neither here nor there. The general uh, expectation runs basically to the poles of nerd behavior. Hmm. It's either the greatest idea ever because Spider Man Three was crap. Yeah. Or it's the worst idea ever because who needs a reboot? There's really no middle ground. Nobody. Well, honestly, there are people who just kind of feel, oh, well, whatever. But those people aren't the ones talking. Um, I, I think that I hear more people saying that, you know, oh, God, reboot, blah, blah, blah. His uniform looks like it's made out of basketballs. Hmm. But, you know, that's I mean, that's the standard thing. And that is. The, you know, that's the classic media buzz. That's what they want. Yeah. They want people talking about their movie. And the more people who say this is going to suck, the more people are talking about it. And I kind of get the feeling that, you know, when it comes to a superhero movie, the guys who say it's going to suck and I don't even want to see it and it's going to be awful are the guys who will be there opening night. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, uh, have either of you guys watched Chronicle yet? No. 
Oh, okay. Um, which one is Chronicle? That's the found footage. Is that the story movie. that Tom Boaz and I wrote in college? I don't know. Did you get paid for it? And did you? No, 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 Matthew. This the story that you guys wrote. I think was called Sandwiches, not Chronicle. <laughs> you know, it was called no. Chronic. Anyway, moving on. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You Hello. can uh, read all sorts of news over there on a daily basis, and you can comment to your heart's content. If you haven't listened, check out Critical Hit Season 4 is well underway. Ep- uh, uh, episode 3 of Season 4 arrives on your plate this weekend, and you'll certainly want to check out the shenanigans there. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will get into some reviews. How to get a major spoiler shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 20-06. Gentlemen, this is a letter that came in. I recently canceled my $5 a month donation and upgraded to a $10 a month donation, and I wow. wanted to tell you why. Uh-huh. Major spoilers and Critical Hit remain my two most favorite podcasts out of the roughly 20 that I listen to. It's gotten to the point where I hoard them like fine wines and feel lost when I'm up to date. A Friday night without Critical Hit just will not work. I'm an American that's been living in Sydney, Australia for six and a half years. When I moved my life here, I left everything behind, including... My friends and my family. I have a family of my own now, but new friends have not been as easy. That's the main reason why I identify so heavily with all the great things that you do on the podcast and on the site. You three help remind me of old friends, and I find a lot of comfort comfort in things I listen to and read. You three also have a great influence on my comics reading, and I base most of my Comixology purchases on your recommendations. (laughs) Did you hear that, Comixology? Come back and be one of our uh, sponsors again. Uh, In closing, please accept my heartfelt thanks for all the hard work that you do. I will continue reading, listening, lurking all three of you on Twitter and donating as long as humanly possible. Never before have I wanted other people to quit their day jobs as much, if not more, than myself, although I imagine I would do so much less with my free time than you three would, if only. I will have to live even more vicariously through you than ever before. Thank you all from Sean. Thank you, Sean, for that. And for this, we give you our Spoilerite of the Week salute. Salute. And, and remember, the official motto of Australia. This is the waddle, the symbol of our land. You can stick it in a bottle. You can hold it in your hand. Amen. And uh, listeners, you can make a donation. Major spoilers. One, two, uh, one-time donation, a, one, a two or five or $10 a month recurring. Or another way that you can help us out. We know so many of you out there uh, buy things through this site called Amazon.com. Maybe you've heard of, uh, of it. It's been around for a number of years. That's it's the kind one of the hip, Wonder Woman, right? It's the one that's uh, really hip in, in places to purchase things. Could be electronics, could be books, could be uh, video games, could be videos, could be a number of different things. If you go to Majorspoilers.com and you click on that little Amazon.com button, you can make any purchase. It's not going to cost you anything more. In fact, you're going to get it for the same great price that Amazon gives you each and every time you go. The only difference is when you go through Majorspoilers.com and you click on that Amazon link and you buy something, we get a little something in return. The more you buy, the more we get. You get your product, still delivered on time, still the same great price, only this time... You're sticking it to the big business. 
<laughs> because instead of them keeping all the profit, I'd give a little bit over to good old Majorspoilers.com. So I got a little compensation over here, I says to the llama. It doesn't have to just be you. Tell your friends, tell your family, whatever. Tell them to go to Majorspoilers.com, click on Amazon.com, and purchase away. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much, everybody. And thank you, Sean, for those kind words and changing your monthly donation from 5 to $10 a month. I hope that's U.S. and not Australian dollars. Actually, I think the Australian dollar may be worth more than Australian. <laughs> we may hope that it's Australian. Let's get to some reviews. Review. Wait, I need to do it officially for Sean. Review. That's not a review. That's a review. Let's uh, let's That's check and see what's going on over at uh, Dark Horse Comics, Rodrigo. Now, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, you blew my mind when you talked about alabaster wolves, and I thought, oh, here are all these wolves running around. Oh, yeah, alabastery. All yeah. alabastery. It's like that's, it's like that's gargoyles. Not it. only it's with alabaster colon wolves. And this week you're taking a look at so, issue number two. Yep. The so have an alabaster colon. The uh, our our uh, hero Dancy um, was just in an altercation with a werewolf, and she is trying to find a place to hole up for the night. Um, and she wanders into an abandoned church or a, ch- a church that she thought was abandoned. And it is in fact full of monsters. Uh, that oh is no. basically the, the, the gist of the issue. Um, the art continues to be great. Uh, the writing is still pretty, uh, like the, 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 the way that the character, like the, the internal dialogue of the character is, is really interesting, you know, cause she's Southern and she's, you know, she's got a real cadence to the way that she talks and everything. Um, the only real issue that I had with this uh, issue is that, you know, the the, the first issue um, had such a tension to it. Um, it. It really had that feeling of, you know, two characters pointing a gun at each other and then whoever managed to shoot the other one was the one who was going to win. Um and, you know, in the end, the main character wins at a huge loss to her. You know, she gets injured. She loses her angel protector oh, no. all over this, you know, uh, this altercation with a werewolf. And, and it's a, it's a, it, it seems to be a huge moment. But in this issue, when she makes her way into this church, she gets attacked by like a dozen monsters, a couple of which are werewolves. And she basically kicks all their butts without a scratch. I mean, she's already injured. So in the end, you know, those injuries um, make her pass out at the end of the fight. But she beats up a whole bunch of monsters. So, you know, if she's badass enough to beat up a whole bunch of monsters, why did she have to do the whole devil's bargain with the werewolf in the last issue? Mm. It, it really, to me, really detracted from what I had already read. You know, I was, I was thinking that it always went like this, that, that, you know, every situation she always got out of it, you know, by the skin of her teeth. And if ever there were, you know, two monsters of equivalent power, there was no way that she'd be able to do it without an act of God kind of situation. Right. Um, so I was I was a little annoyed by that because it kind of deflated the first issue. If she could have just chucked a knife into the other werewolf, you know, she would have just beaten it. Um, you know, other than that, it, it continues to be dark and moody and interesting and 
offbeat, which is really the, the important thing. You know, the, um, I think that, uh, there are a lot of, things that right now because of where we are in pop culture we assume that uh you know certain rules that werewolves have to follow certain rules that vampires have to follow and things like that and, th- and this book goes through and writes some of the uh, of her own rules without stretching the myth too thin you know like making them uh, native american superheroes mm-hmm. or 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 anything like that um so it's you know, it's, it's still got a good, interesting mix. Like I said, I'm a little disappointed about that situation because I think that it detracts from previous situations. Yeah. But all in all, it was a, it was a good read. I'll give it, I'll definitely give it three slices of meatloaf. Excellent. And you're uh, up for issue number three then? Sure. Or down for issue number three? One of those. Whatever the kids are saying these days. Yes. I'm hip to the jive. <laughs> number three. That is out this week, right this week from Dark Horse Comics. I think it might be out next week. Oh, okay. Ooh, even further ahead than the yeah, rest of the world. So hopefully we didn't have like a huge spoiler embargo. <laughs> I think they always say don't give away too many spoilers. And if you do make sure they're vague. Yeah. So like something important happened on page three. Ooh, we don't know. Pay but attention. It was something All right. For me this week, I'm reading something from uh, IDW publishing and, uh, is, it came out, I think it's been delayed about three months, four months, something like that. It is the hardbound collection of the art of Amanda Connor. And here's my review. Hubba, hubba. Zoot, zoot. Boink, boink. Waka, waka. Oh, baby. You know what I mean. Uh, this is a great collection. Uh, it covers basically her entire career up to this point. So it starts out with her dealing with um, non-superhero-y stuff, the stuff that she started out with with the independent comics, then doing a lot more of her early work, independence, working in Vampirilla for a number of years, uh, working uh, with, uh, uh, oh, what's that series? Uh, Painkiller Jane and the Darkness. Um and then finally getting up to her DC and Marvel, her big two run. And every single page is filled with gorgeous artwork after gorgeous artwork. Uh, you get to see the work in progress. You know, you might get to see the black cat uh, on a cover from Amazing Spider-Man. And then you get to see all the sketches that led up to the creation of that work. Uh, there's commentary. Uh, I, I must admit uh, uh, my eyes weren't focused on the words that much. Um, simply because Connor just does such amazing work with both males and females. So don't think that this is all about power girl and her boob window. Um, this is about the guys just as much as it is about the girls. And Connor is a, uh, she's a master of the craft. I'll I'll just say that. I just love everything that she does and I'll go out of my way oftentimes to pick up a book if I know she's, she's, uh, involved in it. In fact, I went so far as to pick up two volumes of the art of Amanda Connor. And I need to give one away. Yes, that's right, listeners. You may pick your jaw up off the floor. I'm giving away one copy of the art of Amanda Connor. And here's how what you have to do. On Wednesday, May 1st, 2012, head over to the Majorspoilers.com website and look for the question of the day. The question of the day for Wednesday, May 1st, 2012, will be about the art of Amanda Connor. 
And uh, whoever gives the best answer will get a copy of this book sent to them. So contest, go. Overall, this book is so worth the uh, the cover price of uh, $29.99. It's going to have a nice place on my shelf and possibly yours too. I'm giving this one five out of five slices of meatloaf. Wow. It's good. It really is good, Matthew. I'm sure you guys got a couple of copies in at the store. Uh, Ooh, probably somewhere. Yeah, uh, probably under Matthew's workbench shelf. Um, it's First good. of all, my workbench is a room, and yes, I'm sure there's one in there, but that's not the point. Jerk. It is good. <laughs> all right, Matthew, talk to us about Mark Millar. Mark Miller. The man's name is Mark Miller. It's pronounced the exact same as Frank Miller, and people who say Millar, well, they go to a special, special kind of hell. Uh, Mark Miller is probably one of the bomb, most bombastic he certainly something. Maybe even blowhardy. <laughs> oh, that's that's an even better word. I thought it might be, yeah. I could think Mark, of a couple more. Mark definitely does the hype and plays the hype machine for its best. So when I heard about Super Crooks and I heard that it was going to be drawn by Lionel Yu, who was uh, the first person to make me consider dropping uh, New yeah. Avengers. He's your when- favorite artist of all time. I, I'm going to guess in the opposite world. <laughs> I'm guessing you're not going to rush out and buy the hardbound collected edition of the uh, art of Lionel Francis Yu. Why would I want lots of pictures <laughs> of Wolverine with his eyelids showing? <laughs> but when I picked up Super Crooks number one, I picked it up based on the theory that two things that you don't like can, in fact, create an alloyed semblance of something that you do. And I was really impressed by Super Crooks number one. And I realized part of the reason why it's interesting is Lionel Yu has a different inker here. Uh, it's actually Jerry, I think it's Alan Guilin, who did um, the rooster story, and I can't remember his name now. Do you remember when we covered the the story about the rooster? Elmer, who was yeah. Elmer, yes. Jerry Alan Guilin is doing the inking on this. And Mark Miller has co-plotting by a man who I swear has the coolest name ever, Nacho Vigalando. I love that name. In fact, that next time I go out drinking and women say to me, what's your name? I'm going to go, my name is Nacho Vigalando. So, Super Crooks number one basically introduced us to a couple of low-level supervillains in a world that's basically equivalent to the Marvel or DC universe. I'd say probably closer to the Marvel because of the street-level nature of the powers. This issue opens with them going and recruiting people. If you've ever seen the second act of any George Clooney Oceans picture, where Clooney and Brad Pitt go around, especially the first one, we need a grease man. We got a grease man. We need one more guy. You think we need one more guy? You're right. We need one more guy. And that's what the first half of this issue is. They find a guy called the ghost, who's the best intangible in the business. And I love that phrase. The best intangible in the business. They get themselves a telepath. They get themselves a telekinetic. They get two guys who are essentially invulnerable. And the invulnerable guys, of course, are hiding out in an underground fight club. And the whole thing is very much in the tone of that heist movie. That whole, you know, it's the Italian job. We're going to put this all together. There's even a character who kind of looks like um, Alan Brady playing Saul. But as we get, you know, this whole thing put together the the plot is relatively straightforward and simple and i'm hoping that it's actually going to be one of those really complicated moments where everything goes wrong and then we find out but that's exactly how rusty wanted it to go 
but they gather this group of supervillains and they decide that since all the heroes are in New York, they're going to fly to Spain and they're going to rob the most powerful supervillain on the planet. Now, it's a Mark Miller joint, so of course the most powerful supervillain on the planet is a man named The Bastard, which I think is actually kind of a pretty cool supervillain name. This, I don't know how long this series is. It may be a six-issue limited. It may be an ongoing. I don't know what the whole deal is, but I can tell you that I'm on board simply because of how much fun it is. It's playing with, well, it's playing with tropes that are familiar. It's playing with, you know, the heist movie, the let's build the gang, let's figure out what we're going to do. Oh, no, something's gone wrong. But throughout the whole issue, they put it together with, you know, the superhero stuff, the supervillain stuff that we know from comics. It's basically the comic version of those heist movies. And it won't work as a movie because it's the comic version of those movies, kind of the same way that, you know, Wanted worked better as a comic than it did as a movie. The best part is one of the people that they managed to pull into it is one of the top superheroes in the world. But he accidentally... uh kind of didn't tell his wife that he was trying to date someone that he met on an internet site. And so they're blackmailing him into joining. It's really interesting. It's very Mark Miller. So if you're bothered by Mark Miller dialogue and F bombs, ahoy, lots and lots and lots of F bombs. Um, in fact, the, that word gets a workout in ways that you very seldom see these days in comic books. Maybe not for you. I actually enjoyed this. I'm going to say four stars, four slices of, Miller World Meatloaf for Super Crooks number two. Definitely interesting. Put out by the Marvel Icon imprint, so uh, you yep. can check that out. And I think, what is there, another issue coming out? Is this like weekly, three times a month, bi-weekly? I don't What's know. With this? I want to say Super Crooks number one came out like three weeks ago. Oh, okay. It, it may be something that ships as they have it, or they may have done it to where, you know, it's a, a six or a 12 issue series and they're going to put it out either bi-weekly or tri-weekly. <laughs> Octo Weekly. Octo Weekly. All right. Uh, one of the things that I forgot to put in last week was a review from one of our writers over at Majorspoilers.com. So instead of one review this week, we get two. First, it's Jimmy, followed by Zach, as we take a listen to uh, the books that they've re read over the last couple of weeks. Thanks, guys. This week, I'll be looking at The Legend of Oz, The Wicked West, number three, from Big Dog, Inc. I actually reviewed the second issue of this series on the site a couple months ago, and I picked up the third issue at C2E2, where I met Tom Hutchison, the writer. The elevator pitch for this comic, as you can tell from the title, is The Wizard of Oz meets The Wild West. That might not seem like the most exciting premise for a book. However, Tom Hutchison has done a great job of taking typical elements of Wizard of Oz and giving new flavor to them. For example... The Tin Man is a sheriff, which, while it seems rather obvious, is so subtly brilliant. Also, rather than being a dog, Toto is now a horse, and Dorothy, oftentimes referred to as Gale, has the ruby-red spurs rather than slippers, and also some ruby-red six-shooters. Unsurprisingly, Dorothy wants to get to Oz, however, the yellow brick road, which was in fact made largely of golden bricks, has now been stripped mostly bare by malcontents within Oz. So, with the help of the Tin Man, and, as of last issue, Scarecrow, who's actually a female in this story, 
Dorothy is on her way to the Emerald City. However, first she has to make it through the forest of the Kalidaz, characters from the Oz books that I was not actually familiar with. And of course, there happens to be a wicked witch who doesn't particularly care for Dorothy. When I first picked up this series, I wasn't expecting much. It seemed like a strange premise, but I was very pleasantly surprised. The story by Tom Hutchison and all the dialogue is very good, and makes a lot of subtle references to the Oz books that I was actually having to go to Wikipedia for. For those who are really big fans of the L. Frank Baum books, you'll be getting a lot out of these stories. The artist, Alison Borges, does a great job, and the colors by Kate Finnegan are perfect. This series presents an interesting take on Oz, with the magical land actually looking more like the Kansas that Dorothy Gale is from than our typical movie depictions of Oz. I highly recommend this book. If you're looking for a non-DC or Marvel comic, some you know, if you want to support an independent publisher, Big Dog Inc. is putting out a lot of books and really trying to step up in the world. My interview with Tom Hutcherson will actually be up on the site sometime in the next couple weeks once finals have wrapped up. So overall, I give Legend of Oz Wicked West a 4 out of 5, has a great story, wonderful art, a beautiful cover, and it presents a very novel take on an old classic. Well, I'm Jimmy, and I'll be back again soon. Be sure to check out the Major Spoilers website for even more of my reviews. Thanks, guys. This week, I'm taking a look at Daredevil number 11, which is the finale to the three-part crossover, The Omega Effect. The event last left off in Punisher number 10 with Daredevil falling down into a waiting crowd of members from AIM, Hydra, Exchange, and the other top criminal agents in the world who are all wanting to get their hands on that piece of old Fantastic Four costume that contains pretty much everything about every criminal organization in the world. So issue 11 starts right where we left off with Daredevil falling down to the pit of henchmen after Special Agent and... Punisher's uh, slightly sidekick, uh, Agent Cole, shot uh, Matt Murdock off the balcony into this pit. Matt is then rescued by Spider-Man and Punisher, and then immediately sets out to find Cole and the Omega Drive that he she took from him. After the two meet up, the bulk of the issue is them working out their issues and trying to exchange the Omega Drive. Cole isn't feeling this. She wants to get back at the criminal organizations for the assassination assassination of her husband, but Daredevil keeps telling her not to be like Punisher, and that avenging her death, his death, won't do anything for her. As per any Wade comic, there is a nice dialogue flowing here, and there actually was a, a slightly funny throwaway line with Matt basically saying that every Avenger and hero has the same backstory of losing a loved one and then seeking the revenge for their death. But in the end, Daredevil ends up with the Omega Drive, and Cole makes her escape, unbeknown to Daredevil, Spider-Man, and Punisher. I was slightly saddened to see that Paola Rivera, who, who I probably butchered name there, wasn't doing the art, but all in all, I was quite satisfied with it. It had the same feel as Rivera's art, which was nice. It continued the trend of really great art from the Daredevil line so far. I did have some issues, though, during their big dialogue sling between Daredevil and Cole. There seemed to be some issues and some uh, ignoring of the 180 rule. But then again, who doesn't want to kick that rule to the side every once in a while? 
all in all, at the end of this issue and end of the Omega arc, nothing has really happened. We're back to the same part with Daredevil having the Omega Drive, not being able to destroy it. It's going to be hunted down. So after three issues of crossover, nothing is resolved. We had some nice character issues throughout the issue, uh, character scenes throughout the issues, but nothing was accomplished by this. But what are you going to do? This issue wasn't horrible. Uh, the art was really nice. It really saved it for me. So I'm going to give Daredevil number 11 two and a half slices of meatloaf while hoping that this Omega Drive event storyline is all wrapped up here shortly. But it doesn't look like it will be soon, super soon, with issues 11 and 12 solicitations looking to include Omega Drive themes. And that's going to wrap it up for me this week. I will be back soon. But in the meantime, head over to Majorspoilers.com where you can read my reviews and so much more. Thank you. Thank you so much, you too. And you can read more of their works over yeah. at Majorspoilers.com. And remember Always that contest. Good to hear from little Jimmy. Yes. Uh, that contest. Check out the Major Spoilers Question of the Day Wednesday. And I think I may have said May 1st. May 2nd. Wednesday, right. May 2nd, 2012. Question of the Day for all the details in order to get your hands on this Amanda Connor uh, hardbound volume. All right, reviews are done, which means that it is time to it's get into time. something that... Oh, Jesus, oh. guy, always, always interrupting me. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to think stop I'd learned by now that Matthew would stop interrupting, but no. Have I ever stopped interrupting you? It's time <laughs> for the major spoilers. <laughs> Pool of the week, 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 week. I did a sandwich. Week, week, week. <laughs> Nicely handled, Veruca. <laughs> this week, the major spoilers poll of the week goes back to the very roots of why and how the poll of the week was created. Characters beating up characters. And this week, we take a look at the tanks. <laughs> The big guns on the team. The Thanks. ones that can take a lot of damage and deal a lot of damage. You're welcome. <laughs> Who's going to win in a fight between Superman and the Hulk? Rodrigo, please. Uh, like like a lot of uh, these, it, it really depends on who's writing it. And, and, and I don't mean that it would be the whim of the writer as to who wins. Uh, of course, it would be no matter what. But... Uh, it really depends how Superman is being written because for a long time, Superman was also super smart. So if we saw that sort of Superman, then of course, uh, and, and by super smart, I mean idiotically, like nonsensically smart. So he would build an army of robot hulks to take on the Hulk, you know, that sort of thing. Um, if it was the more modern Superman, then certainly the Hulk would win because Superman has really fallen into this thing of, you know, being the most straightforward character in the Justice League, largely so that he can be a foil to Batman. Right. Um, so Superman's first instinct would be to fly at the Hulk and punch him as hard as he could, which would make the Hulk angrier, which would make him stronger. Mm -hmm. um, so unless somehow with that punch, he managed to kill the Hulk, which he wouldn't because the Hulk is already super strong and super tough, um, then the Hulk would win because eventually the Hulk would get so mad that he would crush Superman into a diamond. Ooh. Matthew, over to you. When in doubt, go with the guy with laser vision. I see <laughs> Superman. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I kind of agree with you, Rodrigo. It's really going to be dependent on who's writing it because 
you're right. Superman's first reaction, anytime he goes up against uh, Mongol or goes up against uh, Darkseid, and I always think of Superman in the Justice League animated series or the uh, Superman uh, animated series, and his first instinct is to fly at and punch at and beat up whoever is opposing him. And he doesn't take the fight to the air very often, and he certainly doesn't use his, uh, his uh, you know, freeze breath as often as he should, although I don't think that that would stop the Hulk in the least. And I do think that the Hulk, the angrier he gets, the stronger he's going to get. So eventually Superman is just going to wear out. He's going to deplete that sun energy that he has stored up in his cells, especially when it becomes nighttime if the fight even lasts that long. Uh, so my vote uh, went with the Hulk, and I know a lot of people... Uh, in the uh, comment section, have just said, "Oh, he's just gonna." The Superman would throw the Hulk into the sun. Would he? Would he really? The Sentry might. Yeah, the Sentry might. I don't think the, the that Superman would. Superman is still, no. I think, too much of a goody goody even against a giant green Goliath, uh, who is essentially just a man who is having a bad day. Uh, Superman would recognize that. And so we do have a lot of people arguing back and forth over at the Majorspoilers.com website in the comment section saying, hey, I, uh, he would just throw him in the sun or he'd use his eye beams to cut the Hulk in right. half or uh, what were some of the other comments? Uh, I have to agree that Superman should be able to outthink all versions of the Hulk. So, uh, you know, the brains uh, are going to beat, beat the brawn in this fight. Yeah. Um, if Doomsday can kill Superman, says one commenter, mm-hmm. then the Hulk can certainly beat him. And I'm like, how does that even make if a if a strong guy who has strongness can beat him, another strong guy can certainly beat him. Doomsday was supposed to be some sort of psycho super genius too, using like the the thingy and the thingy thingy. But well, I think it, it makes sense if you look at it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, if a lame character like Doomsday can beat Superman, then certainly ah. an awesome character like the Hulk can beat him. I see. So it's the law of conservation of awesome. Yes. Uh, so, Matthew, how did the Major Spoilers Nation vote as of this recording? As of this very second, I'm showing 239 votes. Mm. There may be more as I refresh, yes. but 62% of the vote. Excuse me, 63% of the vote is saying Superman could beat the Hulk. The Hulk is at 37%. 261 total votes right now. The faithful spoiler rights definitely leading towards the man from Krypton. And I think that the reason for that is simple. Superman is awesome. You've got a better picture of Superman on the website. What? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just being a jerk. Uh, Better chess symbol. (laughs) <laughs> Superman puts on a shirt. The the votes the just Hulk keep puts on a shirt. He just can't he just keep it on. <laughs> I would like to see Superman and the Hulk swap clothes before this fight. <laughs> Actually, you know, we have seen the bare-chested Superman, and I guess it depends on who's drawing it. But you know, uh, Clark does have that hairy chest thing going on that uh, might scare a few uh, Hulklings around. So Hulklings, Hulklings, the baby Hulks. Um, there are baby hulks. Uh, well, if you believe the uh, Mark Millar, uh, uh, well, there <laughs> is actually series. there is a character named Hulkling, who, as I understand it, has actually nothing to do with the Hulk. Oh, yeah, he's, a, he's a scroll, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. You learn something every day, listeners, by listening to this podcast. And of course, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com, cast your vote, and share your thoughts and comments in the Major Spoilers poll of the week. Get over there, check it out now. We're going to take uh, one more quick It's break time. Here. No, 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 it's not time. 
Oh, it's well past time. <laughs> At the cone, the time will be 9.34 p.m. <laughs> Yes, and at the tone, it will be time for some voicemails. Stick around. Hey, guys, it's Ryan Howard King. I have a question, but first I want to remind the listeners, you can head to that Amazon link on the site. I have a couple of recommendations. I recently purchased uh, Batman Incorporated. You had a new hardcover that came out from Graham Morrison. And I also got the severed hardcover from Scott Snyder that collects all those horror issues in there. They're a great read. Uh, my question for y'all is, uh, should every comic in an ongoing series be a jumping-on point? Um, obviously, you know, one-shots and short-limited series should continue, you know, a story, and they can, you know, one-shot would be a jump-on, and you know where to start with the number one, but an ongoing, you know, I don't really know if every single one should be a jump-on. Uh, I like the kind of the point one initiative that Marvel is doing to kind of give you a little bit of a run in, but I've heard criticisms of, uh, you know, like the Wonder Woman that Azrael is doing, uh, Azrael is doing for uh, DC, and people are saying, you know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who this Wonder Woman is. And they don't want to go back and get the hardcover or start, they just want to start from where it is right now. So what do you guys think? Should every single ongoing be... Yeah, jumping on point, or can there be some kind of story arc building that maybe is uh, not some new readers can get into? Thanks. Hey, Major Spoilers, this is Blue Yonder. Thanks for running my press release. Uh, seeing Blue Yonder on the website just means the world to me right now. But what I really wanted to talk about was uh, Rodrigo's comments about a, a Comic-Con only attended by comic book geeks, no uh, pop culture fungies allowed. I was wondering if that was really possible at all, because when you think about it, in this day and age, creating a comic book isn't that much work. It doesn't really require that much upfront funds. You could probably do it for less than a grand. I'm, I'm helping someone do it on the side for a freelance gig for a consulting firm for that much money upfront, and that's not even pocket change for a studio or someone like the situation. So it doesn't seem like that's really a good way of a good metric of keeping people out of cons. Uh, if a Ben Stiller's Jennifer Aniston rom-com wants to be at Rodrigo con and they think that that's going to be their demographic, I think they're going to find a way in. So I guess in my opinion, the only way to keep the only thing that can really weed out uh, so-called phonies if they exist, is time itself because uh, there'll be a cooling down period on uh, comic book things, especially comic book movies, maybe in a year, maybe in five years, and then we'll see who's really into comics and who just was following the trends. So that's all I had to say. Uh, keep up the good work, and I'll keep listening. Bye. Greetings and salutations, major spoilers. Cat Halo from the forums here with my thoughts on the movie that everyone is talking about. You know, the flick that unites everybody's favorite characters? That's right, it's American Pie Reunion. In fact, no, no, no. Let's talk about the Avengers instead, or Marvel's Avengers Assemble, as it's known this side of the world. I'll do my best to keep these thoughts brief. To give you a bit of perspective to begin with, these are my favorite of the Marvel movies in order so far. Iron Man, Captain America, Iron Man 2... 
Thor and the Incredible Hulk. And this movie represents the culmination of Marvel Studios' four-year, five-movie investment. And it pays off wonderfully. This is a brilliant movie, full of funny and fun and drama and action. It weaves the threads of the previous movies together incredibly well, while still working as a standalone film. The whole cast, with no exceptions really, are brilliant. Ruffalo is probably the most memorable, as his Banner and his Hulk are the big screen's best yet. And they get some of the most memorable comedy and oh hell yes moments. Hiddleston's Loki is also the best bad guy from any of the Marvel movies to date, relishing the nasty and having some great scenes with Thor and Black Widow. I personally think he would make a fantastic Doctor, or maybe even a better The Master, but that's an aside. This is all brought together wonderfully by Joss. In Joss we trust. His script is well-paced and very funny, with a solid story and interesting characters and character dynamics keeping it all going. And for somebody who's never directed anything of quite this scale before, he manages it all very, very well. He inserts some very cool camera shots that quietly improve the quality of the movie. And the action is also damn fine. The helicarrier scene and the climactic battle in particular are just great. So, potentially this is the best superhero movie ever made. It's certainly the most fun and definitely Marvel's best outing yet. If you liked any of their previous movies, you gotta see this flip. I've already seen it twice. So with that being said, I'll leave you as be. As always, you can find me all over the interwebs. You can follow at Cat Halo Movies on the Twitter book. You can like Cat Halo Movies on the Facey Space. And find me on the ever-brilliant Major Spoilers Forum. Which reminds me, I just want to give a quick hello and thanks to a lot of the spoilerites on the forum. Particularly, Gomer, Navarre, Damascus... Alicia Minx and Lutherian, this geek now has a wicked comfy chair and he has you guys to thank for. Thank you very much and I hope you all have a great week. Thank you so much for that review of The Avengers. We'll be uh, heading out to the theater soon to go see The Avengers ourselves. I'd see it opening night, but stupid us. We scheduled a a critical hit recording that I know is not going to be done in time for the midnight showing. Nope. So I may be going to a late showing on Thursday or heaven forbid Friday. It opens on Wednesday? Why, let me ask. Yeah, yeah, midnight on Wednesday. Why Weird. Why do preschools have a graduation ceremony? Mm. Yeah, why do those kids have the audacity to have things and happenings? I and mean, I've got I've to have to go to a preschool graduation. Then I'm going to have to go to kindergarten graduation, then eighth grade graduation. I bet they have a fifth grade graduation. It's called milestoning, Stephen. In, in, in education and also in call centers, you, you put these milestones up so that you, you build in the child an understanding that, hey, it's really good there, Jimmy. That's that a really good thing you did that, everyone else that did. you sent your uncle to the cornfield. And, it you know, it's an extension of the theory by which no one is a loser and everybody yes. wins. So Congratu- you graduate everything. Congratulations, boy. You graduated from yep. nose picking and glue eating. Yay. You didn't pee on the floor <laughs> too many times. <laughs> yeah, because like, too many times. Be careful because, you know, one more accident. Or actually, maybe he's doing it on purpose and he's going to be held back a year. Uh, another question that uh, Maybe there's a girl in. he has a crush on. Maybe. Uh, the question that the listener called in, should every comic in an ongoing series be a jumping on point? Listener? We're going to make you wait until issue 407 of the Major Spoilers podcast, What's and we that? will answer it in depth then. Is that on Saturday? That would be the uh, show coming up immediately after this one. Check On the local. weekend. Well, it depends on when they're listening. 
Some same people listen fat to it on guy money. time, same fat guy channel. Na, 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 so a couple of weeks ago, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, Rodrigo picked up this book, Courtney Crumrin, uh, <laughs> the new ongoing series, and he was reading it and thought it sounded kind of interesting and it looked kind of interesting, at least from the point of view that here's a little girl that has no nose. <laughs> Aye. And I think that's just an artistic uh, issue, not a. Uh, Boy, I hope really so. <laughs> How does she smell? <laughs> oh, which uh, which is actually probably what my topic is going to be, and, and it's something why that I talk about Kremlin before. Does not have a nose. Yeah, why why she does not have a nose will be my topic for the uh, weekend okay. show. All right, so stay tuned for that. Why she does not have a nose. So now, Rodrigo, you've read. Uh, the new ongoing series, and you've had a chance to read Volume 1, The Night Things. Mm-hmm. Give us a kind of a broad overview of who Courtney is and why her adventures are interesting or not interesting, depending on who you are. Okay. So Courtney Crumrin is a uh, kind of a pre-adolescent girl. Um, I, I get the sense that she's in middle school, basically. She must be. She hasn't grown into her nose yet. Right. Or she has she hasn't grown a nose yet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, they say that as you get older, your nose and ears continue to grow. So she must not be very old. Uh, she uh, has parents that are tools. They are kind of pretty selfish people. I mean, they don't mistreat her or anything, but they don't pay a lot of attention to her, and they're very concerned with their social status. And her parents and her are are invited to this really ritzy to to live in this really ritzy neighborhood in her uncle's which is you know essentially her great uncle you suspect right um her great uncle's house which is a giant spooky mansion um and all of these posh houses have been built around it mm-hmm. um so as we go we see that courtney's having some issues fitting in she kind of doesn't want to fit in, but she gets beat up and stuff like that. But also simultaneously, you see that there is magical things going on. You know, like what's, the- you know what's really cool about these magical things? What? Um, I, I don't know if you've seen like old like old art drawings of like monsters and demons, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like from... Uh, the dark ages kind of stuff, you know, the crows walking around with their people with crows heads. And, right, right. Uh, yeah. That kind of thing. That's kind of how these monsters remind me, remind me of is that mm-hmm. old artwork. Oh yeah, definitely. There's a real, there's a lot of stuff going on here. There's a little bit of that sort of, you know, the, the stuff that you would see in like etch work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of like grotesques from churches. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit of Mike Mignola in this, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a little bit of like ghastly crumb tinies or whatever that was called, you know, that, um, that, that kind of, uh, morbid children's story thing. Mm. Got me on that one. But now I have something to torture my son with. Yeah, look it up. Who's the guy who did the really, really uh, disturbing drawings? Oh, now I can't remember his name. Oh, it's going to make Bruce, Bruce Otter. <laughs> no, but Bruce Otter's a big fan of this guy. He oh, does okay. the scary, the scary drawings that are kind of half completed and always horrific. And it's always like young children, children with fangs and teeth and like that. Ah, oh. it makes ah, oh, my brain hurts and I've lost oh, it. Interesting. 
You don't know who well, I'm talking about. Well, so when we take a look at this. this Gahan Wilson. What's his name? Gahan Wilson. Gahan? Yes. Okay. Gahan Wilson. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Make the joke. No, no, no. I just wanted to make sure that I heard you correctly so that I can giggle hysterically in the background later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this world that they're in, obviously, as you said, Rodrigo, the parents are tools and they are really, really complete tools. They are only only interested in wealth and advancing themselves. And instead of working at it to make their money, they just want to mooch off of everyone else, it seems like. Uh-huh. Uh, or they want to live the lifestyle without doing the work for it. And so uh, that, I mean, that's kind of nice. Uh, I, I'm not uh, overly thrilled with a t- portrayal of parents in that way, but in this sense, it works because you have to get the parents out of the way right. so that Courtney can establish a um, a relationship with her uncle Aloysius or whatever his name is. Um, Aloysius. And so I think that that's kind of cool. Um, just considering the time period in which uh, the bully film is coming out and causing controversy, uh, of course, the bullying at school uh, kind of takes a, a lead in this first chapter because the richer kids, the spoiled kids, they just beat the crap out of her. And she goes home every night and her parents are like, oh, you need to be nice to that girl because her dad's the mayor or whatever. And she's just sitting there all bruised and battered and just like whatever. <laughs> Um, and then her uncle Aloysius is this mysterious kind of guide uh, who will lead her through it. And then we certainly get into this realm of magic. Now, mm. Matthew, I'm curious. Yes. As you read through this, how do yes. all of those things, do they converge nicely or do they not converge? I mean, here we've got real world they, situations and we've got fantasy kind of smashing into one another to tell the story of Courtney in this magical environment. Well, they, they were kind of the same way that uh, Joss Whedon did in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where the vampires aren't really technically vampires. The vampires and the monsters are metaphors for growing up and going through high school. And, you're, you know, your first boyfriend turning into somebody completely different after you sleep with him. This is exactly what that is. But in a younger age, you know, this is kind of the preteen version thereof, where there are monsters and ghosts and ghouls, but it turns out that the most disturbing things she finds are rich kids who don't want to accept her. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the more she tries not to fit in, the more she, you know, the more she exhibits her individuality, the more they want to beat her down and her parents as grown-ups, they don't understand the whole thing. They're like, oh, well, we want to be, you know, we want to be hanging out with the rich people. We want to be a part of, of the upper crust. Mm-hmm. And Courtney, you know, clearly doesn't. She wants to be the alternate chick. And it, it, it's really interesting to see that whole, that preteen thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the themes are really implicit. It's not like we're actually seeing, you know, the the level of... Oh, we're not yeah. that we see in terms of that. You know, yeah, like, we're not uh, seeing violence. I mean, oh no, uh, we see. I think the biggest bit of violence is uh, Courtney getting punched in the gut by mm-hmm. the uh, by the uh, rich girl. Um, right. You know, one of the things that I, I was going to ask you, Rodrigo, as kind of the same question: uh, Does this work? And people don't. I mean, does this all work together, mashed up? I think it does. Um, Primarily because it is, um, it's picking a mythology that is all about secrecy and 
darkness and, you know, there being things behind the things that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've seen stuff where they throw in like, uh, you know, they'll throw in like Greek mythology into a setting like this. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's no way that you can find out that you are like a demigod and still go to high school because, right. you know, things just get out of control and sometimes it's very contrived. But then your you look uncle at this comes whole, and his head's on fire. And he, right. Oh. If you, if you look at, you know, this whole English, Welsh mythology with the, um, an Irish with the, you know, the, the changelings and the elves that, you know, steal people away and goblins living mm-hmm. in the forest. Right. That the fact that that is a much more subdued, uh, mythology and the fact that already written into it is the fact that these things actively hide from people. Right. Unless you cross them. Right. It, it it really helps. It actually forms this really nice mesh to support the story. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the natural world people, do you think they ignore the mystical for the most part? Because I think the thing that kind of bothered me most was uh, meeting um, Butterworm the Goblin, who looks right. more wolf-like. This is a different take on a goblin. Right. Um, but he eats a boy. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, I guess he just must have moved. And we don't hear anything else about that. It doesn't seem like a big deal. You would think that it would be a bigger deal than it is, but it's almost like people ignore the magic around them. They know it's there, but they just decide to turn their backs to it. And that kind of helps Aloysius to a point um, uh, hide because he turns out to be far, 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 far older than anyone um, had thought. And that's part of the, you know, the underlying, uh, the myth here. And I'm not sure whose mythology it is, but I am at least familiar with the expectation that magic is only visible to people who are young mm-hmm. and people who are specifically, you know, trained to see it. Mm-hmm. By, by the time we saw it in the Harry Potter books, that's something that has been firmly established. But again, I don't know where. I'm going to say, let's say England. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. going to call it England. Very the British box. people are just yeah. very, very sort of the same. But that's also, that that to me is kind of a selling point. Sure. Especially if I were, you know, if I were a theoretical young reader. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of themes that I clearly remember being, you know, getting really kind of attracted to and into and being, you know, really a part of because... The main characters are people like me. The main characters are teenagers. And as a teenager, I had a very, you know, clear and and delineated inner life that was nothing like the mess that was high school. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see where that's something that that can be very appealing. That's part of the book that I really enjoyed. Uh, after Courtney figures out that there's magic in the world and figures out that if she studies, unlike apparently the rest of the kids at the school... Uh, she can control magic, and so then in the next chapter, we see Courtney wanting to be a little bit more liked, and she uh, puts a glamour on herself to make her more attractive to people. And uh, Rodrigo, that doesn't have the same results as she hoped it would. No, it it uh, it goes, it works too well, and everybody likes her too much, and they won't leave her alone. And people start fighting each other over her, and a boy goes totally nuts on her. Um. And she has no nose. And she has no nose. And all the boys have too much nose. Their <laughs> nose could cut glass from across the street. It's scary. No, I guess uh, I, 
I guess I had paid attention to the rest of the girls. The Do the rest of the girls have noses, or are they yes, also just everybody, some do. everybody else has a nose. It's of just, some sort. you know what? It, it, when you look at her, you know, face on, if she has a very flat features, you know, you, the nose may not be. And this is my biggest weirdness about the the art. I like the art overall, but you know, if if you're lighting it, you could light it very flat, and it would appear that she has no nose. But in profile, especially in the scene where she's ki- kissing uh, little little Lord Fauntleroy. Mm-hmm. And she bites him on the lip for kissing him. It's just yes, no she, nose. Yes, yes. I mean that is that is something that um, you know cartoonists and comic book art- artists do frequently. Is when a character has a very small nose, when you see them straight on, they might just have nostrils, or they might mm-hmm. literally have no nose to yeah. show that they have a very small nose. And it's the same color as the rest of their face, so it's not a prominent feature, so it's okay. But yes, when you see them in profile, then they have a nose. But no, not Courtney. She doesn't have a nose. And, you know, I, I picked up the first issue of the second volume. Mm-hmm. And I was really hoping that somewhere in the first volume they would explain why she doesn't have a nose. But I think we're just supposed to see it as this. Because it's not like the kid, like the kids spend a lot of time making fun of her. But not once that they make fun of her for not having a nose. Mm-hmm. So I think we're just supposed to take it as this, you know, just a design thing. She, this character doesn't have a nose or her nose is so very tiny that it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and that's no, that. I mean, all the rest of the art is just fine, but it's just mm-hmm. her in profile. That's a little creepy. Yeah. Um. You know, in, in the first chapter, she's introduced to the magic world and she finds out that uh, she can control it. And the second one, she tries to use the magic for the first time to um, advance herself and it backfires on her. Right. In the third uh, book uh, or the third chapter, Courtney finds out that magic can be dangerous. Uh, she agrees to babysit uh, one of the one of the rich folk. Uh, while the parents go out and while she's babysitting, uh, the baby is kidnapped and replaced by a little goblin. And we've seen this this kind of setup before. It's uh, very, um, um, you know, we, we hear the myths and the stories and the legends about that happening. And we've even seen it. I think, Rodrigo, you mentioned a little bit ago about uh, Hellboy. We've seen this kind of story take place uh-huh. in Hellboy. And in this case, Courtney decides to go down to the goblin market or to Magic Town or wherever she's going to Diagon to try to get the... Alley. Yes, to get the baby back, and she winds up uh, getting captured and being put on the auction block <laughs> herself, only to have her uncle come and save her, which I thought was kind of a cool—I uh-huh. uh, yeah, nice. I, kind of figured that's what was happening, but uh, it was kind of a nice reveal to see how far into the magic realm uh, uh, Uncle Aloysius is, or Uncle A, as she calls him. Uh, uh, Obi-Wan. And, yes, Obi-Wan, uh, how far he's willing to go to help her out. And so I like I like that aspect of the story and then we get into the fourth and final story in the book where uh you know third she learns that there's danger now we finally get into the fourth chapter and we find out that magic now is attacking her in the form of a little uh her doppelganger her doppelganger yeah a little slimy doppelganger that's uh stealing her soul and pretending to be her what do they call those in the the thing doppel wilding (laughs) uh no in the 1930s, they would wear hats and they'd call them doppelgangsters, as I recall. <laughs> um, there are other jokes I could make. They are a little off color and thus inappropriate. So, Matthew, give us uh, give us kind of a little rundown of what goes on with the uh, the doppelganger. 
Well, and uh, you know some of the <laughs> themes that are that are underlying in this this uh, chapter. The the fourth issue is pretty wonderful because the doppelganger basically takes her place and tries to be a more successful her, and makes her parents proud and makes her friends like her, and you know shows off for the teachers and is basically just the perfect child. The you know the wonderful kid that they that everybody thought that they wanted. And Courtney, you know, gets to skulk around the the edges of her own life and see this more successful her. And then they turn the whole thing on its head. Yeah. Because Courtney ends up defeating her doppelganger by being a rude, bad-tempered, antisocial little thing. And basically just telling her, if I wanted you to become Courtney Crumman, you should have done more homework. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, because Courtney's just like I'm not that nice person. I'm an, yeah. I'm mean. I'm a and again she asserts her individuality, and, and and it's her individuality that gives her power over the magic, which is really mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, again, theoretical thirteen year old girls. Well, not thirteen. I would say theoretical nine to twelve year old girls. I think could probably find some sort of resonance in that. Does it have to be girls only? Is this targeted towards girls only? No. But it has a female protagonist, which in a lot of ways is going to, yeah. I think boys of that age might go, ooh, it's a girl. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it, it isn't something that a boy couldn't or wouldn't enjoy. I mean, I enjoyed it, and I'm basically a 10-year-old boy at heart. Right. Um, that's, I mean, that's the book in a nutshell. I mean, it's a fairly quick read. Yeah. Uh, the thing that amazes me, Rodrigo, and now going back to our discussion that we had um, a couple of weeks ago when you re- reviewed Courtney Crumman number one, which has got to be like the fifth volume or something or sixth volume. Who knows what it is now? Uh, I started doing some research to find out how old this series is. This is this series first appeared in 2002. So wow. it's, it's 10 years old this week or no, two weeks ago. It was uh, 10 years old. And we've got Courtney Crumman and the Night Things, which we've just read. Courtney Crumman and the Coven of Mystics. Courtney Crumman and the uh, Crumrin and right. the Twilight Kingdom. Then we got Crumrin's Monstrous Holiday. And then mm-hmm. there are two sub-collections of that that include The Fire Thief's Tale and The Prince of Nowhere. Right. Then there's uh, Courtney Crumrin Tales, a portrait of the warlock as a young man. And then Tales Volume 2, The Legend of Ordinary Gentlemen. And now presumably this new, ser- uh, new series that's yeah. all out from Oni Press. Oh, Courtney wow. Crumbrand so, in the Temple of Doom. Yes. So what I thought was the second volume is actually yeah. like the tenth volume. I, yeah, I don't know how they're how they're doing it, but uh, it uh, it is you know, a long well, ongoing I, series. And I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm surprised that it's taken us ten years to find this book. Or maybe I'll, I'm not. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how they're doing it. And and you know the there's only there's only a mild uh, edge to this because I think that, that you know this book is very well put together. They're, the way that they're doing it is by going through the catalog of fairy tales and mm, mm-hmm. de- devoting each volume to one monster or one classic fairy tale. I mean, these are all things that we've actually seen before, especially right. especially the glamour to make people like you backfiring. Right. That mm. is, I mean, name a TV show with a with somebody who knows magic. Charmed. They did it. The Sabrina, witch. Yep. Sabrina Teenage Witch. They did it. Like, this is a classic, 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 classic. I dream of Genie. Ma- exactly. Magic. You gotta be careful what you wish for with magic. Uh, you know, kind of thing. Super Friends. 
I'm sure they did. <laughs> In fact, I'm sure they did with Mixiel's Spitalik. Probably. Spitalik. For some reason, I want to say that uh, the the whole like Bizarro Super Friends were involved, which made which I hope it had El Dorado and Samurai because I do so love the affirmative action Super Friends. <laughs> yeah. Those guys are my heroes. We've got all those in action figure form. So, oh, I want those. Send them to me. I, I may have duplicates, Matthew, because I know awesome. I gave I gave the boy a set so he could play with them. And he's like, uh, sure, this guy? And I'm Enoch like, Apache, Apache chief. Enoch then, Chuck. Uh, Black Vulcan that they called him in the in the TV series. He's like, Dad, this isn't Black Vulcan. This is Black Lightning. No, Black uh, Lightning wears pants. <laughs> Black Vulcan is Black oh, Lightning's right. kid sidekick who is wears really? no pants. No. Is it really? But okay. it should be. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to Courtney Crumran and the, uh, the night things. Um, are you surprised that this hasn't been taken further than just book form? I really, after I started reading into this, I was really taken by this book. I really enjoyed it from a, a young reader's point of view. Uh, I enjoyed it for the little quaint stories that, that, that were being told, and I'm just surprised to hell that these would have not been turned into a movie yet or a oh, TV absolutely. series or something on, you know, one of the kid networks. Oh, absolutely. I think after Harry Potter, you know, cracked this genre open and by this genre, I, I do loosely mean magical uh, teenage mm-hmm. fair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were they were looking high and low for more stuff. I mean, th- this is partially the reason why Twilight probably got made into a movie was the, oh, yeah, the Harry sure. Potter craze. Um, you know, the Spiderwick Chronicles, Percy, whatever, and the Lightning Jackson, Brigade, the Legion of Doom, yeah, right. Um, the, the Percy Chronicles of Narnia, Michael Jackson <laughs> and the Light Brigade. No, I mean, yeah, the the Chronicles of Narnia got made as a movie because of Harry Potter, right? Yeah, I mean, basically. Probably. Yeah, pretty much. So it, it is surprising that when they were just scouring every last inch of the planet for what to turn into a movie to compete and to write those coattails that, you know, Courtney Crumrin got uh, I, overlooked. I think that knowing that uh, Disney and Disney XD and... What's the other one? Uh, Cartoon Network. They've been delving a lot into the live action entertainment. And uh-huh. it's not always comedy. It doesn't always have to be comedy. I mean, I guess they've got Wizards of Waverly Place over on uh, Disney. So that might conflict with this. This, But I could just see this, not an animated series. I could see this as a um, young adult drama that uh-huh. doesn't get, you know, that isn't uh, the One Tree Hill or the uh, uh, whatever the other crap that's on the CW is. But this could be a young adult series that kids could get into. Granted, it's going to have a somewhat high special effects budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I would think this would be an awesome series on television. Matthew, your thoughts. I mean, is this something your eight-year-old would get a kick out of? Did you share it with her? Uh, no, I haven't. And part of the reason that I haven't is because she's actually uh, been watching gem episodes for the last six weeks. But... More importantly, I think that, yes, she would get a kick out of it. I think that this is something that would appeal to that type of age group because it's the young adult, the teenagers. It's, you know, the the Hannah Montana thing. But yeah, most importantly, it's it's something that's approachable. It's an approachable take on the story. It's not teenage girls act like this. You know, it's not something that 
require Selena Gomez to, you know, play a goofy girl and be in an ABC family movie. It really is something that you can look at because everybody knows what it's like to be the new kid or the alienated kid or, you know, God help you, the new person at work when you're 47 years old. Everybody has that alienation and it ties into some really, really universal themes. And it does it in a way that I think, yeah, those young readers, theoretical young readers, if they're out there, could actually really get a kick out of this. The uh, So Ted... I don't know how you say his last name. Naifa? 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 Naifa, Naifa, perhaps? Um, Let's see, I'm I'm reading his uh, wiki page. Came into notoriety for his goth romance comic, Glom Cookie. Gloom Cookie. Gloom Gloom Cookie. cookie. That's why this looks so familiar. Oh, yeah. There you go. It actually makes a lot of sense now. That's even that same font. he has illustrated cards for Magic the Gathering collectible card game. Mm Mm-hmm. So I find that very interesting. I just I'm I'm just taken by this series. I I don't know why, especially with so many volumes that have come up and come out, why this has not been snatched up. I'm really am surprised. And Oni Press, if they're looking to make some money, uh, Ted, if you're making to look some money, you need to get out there and shop this around because this has got you know teenage money written all over it. Now I say that, and then we look at the sales numbers, and the the sales numbers obviously aren't aren't there. But uh, this is an award winning series. I enjoyed it. I recommend it. I say this is this is really good. The only thing that's distracting is she has no nose. Yes. Uh, but otherwise, not I everybody this. needs a nose. <laughs> uh, Rodrigo, some final thoughts and a recommendation over Courtney Crumrin and the Night Things. Um, what I what I really like about there are actually a lot of things that I really like about this book. Um, it is a book that seems to me to be accessible by everyone, pretty mm-hmm. much, regardless of age. And there might be people who aren't into magic or whatever, and that's fine. They might not get into it. But, you know, from a, a small, like, you know, I would say from at least seven to eight-year-olds all the way up to adults should be able to enjoy this book without too many issues. Um, I think it's, it approaches the subject and the material that it's drawing from intelligently and respectfully. Um, I think it looks at all the things that are creepy and cool about this stuff and brings them out. Um, I like that it has a fair amount of violence. I ha- I like the fact that characters die in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that we, have a tendency to underestimate our, you know, children's ability to deal and to understand these subjects. Right. Um, and this book doesn't pull really any punches. I mean, in over the course of this book, just this volume, a kid gets eaten. I guess you don't see what happens to the rich girl, but you know, does does something happen to her? Did you guys think of anything happened to her? Well, she, had a bed full of goblins and that yeah. go- that is the same goblin that ate a kid earlier. Yeah. So something awful happened to her. Okay. Um, and a baby, uh, an entirely innocent baby gets taken off to fairy town forever away from its parents mm-hmm. and replaced with a little goblin monster. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, you know, uncle, uncle a goes, well, that's the way it goes in fairyland. So, mm-hmm. 
but it, they pull it off. You don't say, oh, my God, what is wrong with the morality of this book? You're, you you kind of go, huh. Well, I guess that is the way it goes in fairyland. That well, is very scary, did, y'all. Yeah, think bad things happen to bad people. It, it's not even that. I mean, Courtney's friend isn't bad. He's a dork, yeah. but he's not a bad person. Well, it's just true, bad too. things happen. Yeah, And these... These fairies aren't nice. They're not Tinkerbell and her amazing Technicolor friends. <laughs> they are scary. They are dark. And unless you chain them up at night, they'll probably eat your face. You know? Yeah. It's, it's that going on. And it's okay to show this to kids because it's okay for there to be stuff that's a little bit scary and a little bit exciting and a little bit violent, you know? Uh, and and I, I think that uh, that this book pulls it all off extremely well. But of course, the protagonist doesn't have a nose, and that is very disturbing. <laughs> do you re- do you highly recommend it? Skip it or borrow it? Oh, I would say definitely, definitely borrow it. Um, but if you're into this stuff, if you have listened to the last couple episodes of Critical Hit and you're like, man, I sure like creepy. F- fairy stuff then you should definitely definitely pick this up uh just another tie here uh rodrigo in the short fiction series not the comic book series of your alabaster uh-huh. ted provides illustrations in that book too nice so there you go connection matthew, yes matthew what about you some final thoughts and a recommendation on uh courtney crumran and the night things courtney crumran is the kind of comic that will make you feel like you're Speaking with an Elmer Fudd type accent. Cromren, wow, Courtney Cromwen. But it's interesting. I like the quirkiness in the art. I I have no idea why you're so fixated on the lack of nose in a <laughs> series where children are, are are eaten on panel and babies <laughs> stolen in the night by goblins and boosties and. I, I love the fact that there's a whole sequence where she's in over her head and then all of a sudden Obi-Wan comes and save her. I love that. This is very approachable. This is really cool. And, you know, it's not the standard superhero fare, but it's certainly not a kiddie story. Although I think that it would work for kids. And I think that because it's not a story that is written as here's a story for kids, it's written as here's a cool story that I think kids will also like. Uh-huh. I'd say at the very least, borrow it, check it out from the library. Uh, don't be frightened by her nose. She's a good person. No, she is. Yeah. And the joke, how does she smell? Terrible. <laughs> okay, so I had to do it. All right, there you go, listeners. Carl Reiner Oni- made me do it. Oni Press, Courtney Crumran, and The Night Things. Uh, this is a special edition that just came out, or they re-released it a couple of weeks ago. Um, so go check it out. 1999. In fact, you can head over to majorspoilers.com and you can click on the link that we have there and, uh, purchase it and a little money comes back to us. And that would be great as well. Thanks. And that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, being part of the major spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to take a look at another young adult series called Howard Lovecraft and the undersea kingdom. Why? Because we don't only cater to 40 year olds. We also cater to 10 year olds and they love comics just as much as you. And we do too. And we'll see you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. 
You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I was Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers It's copyright 2012